Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am excited because I have Ali Henny here. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Hey, everyone. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I start out each interview uh, by asking people, tell us like who you are and how you show up in the world. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, let's see. So I'm Allie Henney. Um, I am a wife and mother to two kids. Um, I've been married for 17 years, I guess it's been. Um, we've been I did together. not know it was 17. Whoa, yeah, yeah. Let's yep, go. <laughs> it's, been, it's been 17 years. We've been together for 21 years. Um, excuse me. I'm I I can't do I can't do math. I can't believe I can't believe this. Actually, it's been 18 years, not 17 years, because it's because it, as soon as I said 17, I was like, that's not right. It's 18, um, because like basically my relationship, like the relationship is old enough to drink, and uh, the uh, marriage is like old enough to vote. So. Uh, that we kind of hit that that golden that golden era now so it could only be downhill from here I guess but anyway um so yeah so um that's not like the sum total of my identity um but those are always things that I like to that I like to put out there um just because I guess you know I consider myself a feminist in a way feminist womanist whatever and um and at the same time um being a mom and being a wife like those are those are ways that I show up uh pretty significant ways that that I show up in the world every single day um so when I uh wake up in the morning and go to bed at night I'm I'm somebody's mama and um you know I'm, I'm married to I'm married to somebody um but other than that uh I'm a writer a minister I have public speaking and kind of do a lot of different a lot of different things within within that um yeah I I love that I yes I've gotten to be in the audience of your public speaking, uh, most recently this summer. So enjoyed that. I I have one other question I want to ask you, and I'm I'm curious to your thoughts before we get into your book, uh, which we'll talk about. I won't shut up. Finding your voice when the world tries to silence you. Uh, where are you finding God these days? Ooh, that's a really good question. Let me let me think about that, um, because it's not just one place. I feel like that it's that it's um, that it's several places. Um, so one way that is probably uber super duper conventional, but I but I feel like it's it's very special um, is in my faith community. Um, I attend. Uh, a black Episcopal church in Chicago. Chicago is where I live. 
And so the congregation that I'm part of is what people would call like an aging congregation. So I'm 38 years old and I'm one of the the younger people that's there. Um, I'm really happy though, because some Gen Zers have been showing up. Um, so some like older Gen Zers who are like in their, in their mid twenties or whatever. So I'm like, Hey, I'm not the youngest person here. Okay. Um, but the, my, but the congregation that I attend, um, the average age is probably like 65. And so we have a centurion who tend, who attend or centenarian. I'm not sure what, what you call it, but somebody who, who is 101 yeah, you got it, years friend. old. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That somebody, somebody that's 101 years old. Um, there are lots of nonagenarians. So people who are in their nineties, people who are in their eighties, seventies. So basically uh, people who's people who's old enough to be my uh, parents and grandparents. And so that's really, really special um, to me. There, there are some Gen Xers, and then, like I said, there's a there's a handful of millennials, and then we also have some some Gen Z showing up, and then there are some alphas because they're they're kids of the millennials and stuff that attend. But it's a but it's a small congregation. But the reason why I say that it's that is special and that I find God there is because it. Is diff- it's different than any church that I have ever attended in my life. Um, and so, um, and what I mean by that is just having so many older people who are there and their outlook on the world and kind of their, their life experiences, um, because, you know, a lot of these folks a lot of these folks, you know, born and raised in Chicago. So they've, they've lived through some things. They've seen some things, they've seen some things come and go. Some of them are even people who migrated up from the South. And so they've seen some things and have been through some things. And so it's just, so it's a very different perspective. And even, and even in terms of myself and kind of my self-understanding as a person who's a minister, who's trying to, you know, be ordained and all this other type of stuff seeing even just like some of the simplicity of um how the members of my congregation approach me and how they and how they treat me and like things that I wouldn't necessarily like think were a big deal or would kind of be like oh yeah I did this but like I'm not going to make a big deal about it they are like cheering me on they're like and it's and so that's that so that's so that's so different than being in a church where people were you know my age and you know maybe plus or minus you know 20 years or so where there was often a sense of competition and being a black woman in ministry there was off there was often this this I, I don't know how to without getting you know too deep into it there was just this there, there was often this this feeling that I had where as I showed up, I constantly um, just had this, have this feeling like I wasn't ever good enough that anything that I, anything that I did, no matter, no matter what my triumphs were, no matter, no matter what happened, it was, it was never, it was never good enough. So to, so then to attend this little church and where anything I do practically people are like 
oh my gosh, that's so great. That's so wonderful. I can't believe that you had that opportunity. Blah, 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 blah. And, and people, and people like want to, want to like hype me up. Like I've been on the church bulletin board so many times for stuff. I'm on bulletin and, board. Like, like, like they, they will print my little picture and put stuff on it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. That's, and so just like that celebration and just yeah. black folks celebrating black folks winning. And like, and the, and that's not to say, you know, that there's, that there's not like the politics and that there's not other things because we're because we're human and we're sharing space together but it's a completely it's a completely different realm so that's been a way that I've really been able to see God at work in my own life and learning um, even learning gratitude I guess in that space and learning and learning and I'm still you know work in progress on this but learning not to discount myself and not to discount the things that God is doing in my life, even though it might be, you know, to me, like I can see, well, I could be doing this or I could be bigger here or I could be whatever, not discounting or despising the day of small beginnings. So that's, that's one way, that's one area in which I would see, um, God showing up in my life and in my world. And then, the other way that I would see God showing up in my life and in my world um, really is just within within my family and um, seeing my kids. My kids are nine and six. And so they're still like at that age where everything is it's um, very easy to impress them. Uh, it's also sometimes hard to like keep <laughs> them happy because they're because they're picky about about everything. But the, but just seeing the world, seeing the world through their eyes, and just even some of the conversations and stuff that I'll that I'll have with them, and so like you, know, I think of for example my six year old, um, she very much like wants a unicorn, like that is like sometimes she'll just have like these moments where she's in bed at night and she's tired and she's thinking and so she's emotional, but she'll just be like, I just really want a unicorn. Cord, and she'll be like crying and stuff and we're like okay, sorry honey. baby like, uh <laughs> and so it's like we're so we're trying to explain to her like you know we like because she wants the unicorn right then and there and not like a stuffed animal she wants a real unicorn and so it's like trying to explain to her there aren't like there aren't any unicorns and so she's like you don't know that there could be unicorns in other galaxies and like whatever and i'm like you know there could be i mean fact <laughs> it, it could be facts though like it like it could be facts so it's like so she's like you know god could have unicorns and other galaxies and i'm just like you know i like i i don't know <laughs> like i mean i can't be like oh god like uh, but i can't be like you know there's like god is probably not gonna make you a unicorn right now because that's not something typically that he does anymore is just create brand new things but then again you know i don't know or if he's creating brand new things maybe he'll create you a unicorn but it's just but it's just it's just really um that's something that's really interesting to really be able to see um to see their faith and to see their understanding of the world and just how they just are kind of like and we're we're not ones we we practice our faith we take our kids to church we talk about god i, I try to be very sensitive to not um indoctrinating my children and and to not i mean i guess you know, people would say you're, well, you're taking your kids to church that's indoctrination you're this and that and the other um my kids aren't old enough for me to leave like at home by themselves so like it's just go, practical like, <laughs> yeah like, like there's like a practical element to like i want to go to church my husband wants to go to church and so like 
our family, our family goes to church, but we don't necessarily like require them to participate or we, we, we try to be very, very sensitive to that with them. Um, and probably even to to an extreme to where we probably don't teach them enough enough stuff, um, but trying to just be trying to be sensitive to that they have their own understanding and that they have their own they ha they have their own journey with the divine they have their own journey with God, and we don't know where that journey um, is going to take them. That's something that's something that they will have to decide on their own and that they will have to figure and that they'll have to figure out on their own. But we just want to kind of provide the information that that we have. And then it's also kind of no fun having like a theologian for a mom because you ask like theological questions and it's like you're gonna get you're like, <laughs> it's <actually>. like yeah. <laughs> so so it's just like so there's times and, and, and my partner is always real like the kids will ask him a question or whatever and it's like oh you should ask your mom I'm like why just tell them the basic <laughs> answer don't 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 ask me don't ask them to ask me because they're gonna get like the theological answer and I don't want to but but it's like but I'm also don't want to have like bad theology. I don't want to teach my kids bad theology. So I'm like, okay, like how do I say this on, you know, a nine-year-old's level or six-year-old's level? But anyway, um, so, you know, really being able to see um, their own formation as people mm -hmm. and being able to see how God has been able um, to take, to take my own life experiences, things that I've, that I've learned, um, places where I've tried to, where I've tried to, um, do better and be better than, than some of the experiences that I had growing up. Um, it's been, is that, that's a place, that's a place where I see, where I see God. Mm, I love that. I, I love how you, you, you talk about that wanting to be better, to experience more. I, when I was reading your book, I noticed that you're very candid about, hey, mistakes you've made, places that you've been, your reach for evolving is all throughout the book. And that's something I really respect and admire about you. And I'm curious, uh, you kind of start out the book in uh, self-defining yourself as this loud Black woman. Talk to us about how that informs how you move as a theologian how you how it how it moves you as a writer like you, you it's interesting that you started there to, at the beginning of the book hey i'm a loud black woman i know this is repulsive to white supremacy um yeah just give us a little more thought yeah you know just that act of self-definition um too many times and i think that you could probably relate to this in seminary, you read books and the person doesn't locate themselves. Like the author is almost writing kind of from this place, this place of kind of understood, like you understand the perspective, like understood worldview. Mm. And um and it's the, neutral and the, usually. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm I'm neutral in in scare quotes or whatever. And of course, you know, my book isn't a theological treatise, but just that's something that 
um sometimes frankly just kind of annoys me whenever people write things and you don't know who they are and where they're coming from and then maybe what some of their biases would be and I understand that you know every work people can't do that self-definition always in, in in every single in every single work um I do think that sometimes you're having like a little forward or a preface or whatever if you can do that even if it's like two or three paragraphs even though a lot of people don't read those types of things um that can just just to have it there I personally think can be can be helpful for people but it was just very important for me to define who I was as a person for the reader from Jump Street so whenever you're reading this book you know the perspective that this book is is coming from and so even like if you go back and like you read the author's note so it's like you know before so it's like that some of the first things that are written by me I'm defining myself so you know exactly you you know you know that I'm that I'm black that I'm straight that I'm cisgender that I'm Christian that I'm this that relatively able-bodied blah 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 you know all these things about me so then whenever you read and maybe there are things that um areas where it's like oh you know I wish that she would have gone farther here or I wish that it would have been that understanding that like okay I'm I'm writing from this very very specific perspective and it's not even that I mean I'm sure that there are areas there are things that I could have said and could have done and could have like whatever um could have said more here or done or done more there or whatever or spoken up about like you know this specific issue over here or whatever like that that's the the problem with writing a book is you you are limited to the number of words that you can write and then once it's written, it's not a dynamic document, right? And I think that, exactly. you know, one day, one day we could have like dynamic books where you're reading and where the material of that book could change, um, where, okay. where come, it can be come edited on, futurism. And, and change. I mean, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's, that will become a thing. That'll be very, that, that raises a lot of other questions, um, but maybe we'll be able to have that. But once, but you know, those, those 50 odd thousand words that I, that I wrote, that's, what they are and I only and I was only limited to that so I could only say so much so anyway but but defining myself I think was very important and so then in my work as a theo as a theologian that those identities that I that I hold those are central to my work like to, to anything that I say and it's it's only white cisgender heterosexual Christian men that get the benefit of neutrality that's they're the only ones that get the benefit of this is the default position this is the neutral position and then everything else besides outside of that perspective is it um something that I've shared frequently is about whenever whenever I was in seminary um I, I made this joke a ton of times but like the seminary that I went to they were they were trying very hard and failing in a lot of respects to be diverse to be inclusive and I was an online student and so everything was uh structured on different weeks so you had you know week one was this topic week two was this topic every single class so almost always around week five or week seven it would be what I would call contextual theology week so it was like all the rest of the course, we've been talking about white men. We have had white men. I'm as so things. triggered. Wow. But we're, I, I, it is. I know it's, it's giving me flashbacks. Like, oh my gosh, sexual theology. We, we didn't go here. to the same school, but you know, but you know what else? You know what I'm talking about. Literally, it's like, yes. It's like contextual theology week. So that's the week that we're gonna throw in James Cone. 
That's the week we're going to throw in James Cone. That's the week that we're going to that we're going to have that we're going to have perspectives from the global majority because that because and this is no no tea no shade on our friends in the global south, but oftentimes so I'm, you're going to an American American seminary. Oftentimes their diversity would include perspectives from the global south, which is wonderful. But then it would erase the experience of like Black American and Latino American, our, our Latina siblings, our Indigenous siblings, our Asian American siblings. And so we're like, it's wonderful to hear from African theologians and scholars. It's great to hear, to, to, to look at different Asian theologies. Like, this is wonderful. I'm not complaining about that. We definitely need that. But then it was almost like, there are times whenever it was just like, okay, great, we're talking about these global perspectives and we're talking about white Euro-American perspectives, but I am not African in the sense of being a continental African. I am African in the sense that I am part of the African diaspora. And so my experiences, my lived experience, my stories, the way that I view God is going to be informed by that history of enslavement, by that history of my ancestors being kidnapped from the continent and all these other types of things. And so it never, it never always, it, it, it rarely hit the spot. So sometimes, yeah, there'll be people that who would have Black American the, theologians and stuff, and, and they would try to to um address some of those address some of those gaps but the but at the end of the day it's like we're not talking about these theologians throughout the class they're not even necessarily required knowledge or required anything this is treated like it's treated like a cherry on top or like whipped cream or just something that's extra that you don't need it's not treated as the main course and so but my identity is the main course. It's the only identity that I that I have. And so if I if I sublimate that identity to then center whiteness, to then center white male perspectives, like that's that's not that's not authentic. And a lot of people do that. A lot of black folks do that. A lot of black theologians do that and they place themselves in conversation and place themselves in the in the center. They, they, they place themselves, they place white theologians white theology all this other type of stuff yeah. at the center and use that kind of as the as the end-all be-all or use that as their as their frame of reference um but for myself it's like you know i i am black there's nothing that can that can change that mm -hmm. um i'm a cisgender woman that's that's my that's how i experience my gender um there's not anything that can that can change that um you know i'm hetero there's not anything that can that can change that. Um, that's that's who I am. And so that's the perspective that I'm always going to bring to everything that I do. And if I'm not bringing that perspective, then I'm then I'm not really being authentic, authentically myself. I'm being something else. I'm being somebody mm -hmm. I'm being something that is a copy of someone else. So anyway, so all that to say that it's just I think that that that, that act of self-definition was very was very important to this book but then also that that comes into my work because that's just I'm always going to be looking at the perspective of how does this affect black people because yeah. I am black I'm going to be looking at how does this how does this affect me how does this benefit or harm me how does this benefit or harm or whatever people who are like me and that's just and that's just how I'm going to approach things yeah, and I think you being that clear allows 
for a different perspective on white supremacy, because you talk about white supremacy and how it has impacted you and other black folks so much throughout the book. And you have all these stories that kind of align with, okay, here's how you can see white supremacy show up in this place. And here's another example. And here's another example, because often people, even at this late hour, people still yes. act like, I don't know what white supremacy means. Like, can I get oh an example? Goodness. So you give a, a lot of examples. Like it, it could look like this, this, or this. But one thing that I haven't been able to talk to many people about, you kind of talk about it towards the beginning of your book, you talk about the ways that Black folks can participate in white supremacy mm. and how, and I think we, we don't have enough conversations about that because the whole deconstruction movement, the exvangelical movement, people were fleeing white spaces, Black people, mm -hmm. people of color, and then thinking, oh, we're just going to automatically go to Black spaces and we're going to be free from oppression and white supremacy. So you kind of say like, no, it can pop up here too. So just give us a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, you go in depth in the book, but like yeah, we need to hear Black folks talking about we can perpetuate this thing too. Yeah, you know, it was very important to me. And some people, you know, might might criticize or critique me for this, but it was very important for me to include that, yes, we also have internalized white supremacy. We also, white supremacy shows up in our own communities in this in these various ways. It was important for me to name that for some of the reasons that you stated, that I think that a lot of us who grew up in integration or who spent significant amounts of time in integrated spaces, because that's what it is, is that it's not just black space versus white space. It's really, an, it's an issue, it's a, it is a, an effect of integration, is that um, we, those of us who came up in places that weren't heavily segregated um, and that, or that were, or to say that differently in spaces that were integrated, we have a different interaction with whiteness than people um, who still, even though we're quote unquote free, um, they, that they spent most of their time in predominantly uh, black spaces. And so um, this is a divergence, but it's, but it's to the point here that uh, I live in Chicago. Now I've lived in Chicago uh, for three and a half years now. And uh, I live on the South side. I mentioned I attend, I, I attend a black church. Like I rarely interact with white people anymore. Um, and I'm generally am happy about that. But the real of the real is, is that Chicago is heavily segregated. Like I live like in the heavily. city of Chicago. <laughs> Chicago is heavily segregated by design. And so some conversations that I have had again, once again, with, with dear people, you know, in, in my, uh, in my church, a lot of them are lifelong Southsiders. They've been, they born and raised in Chicago, lifelong Southsiders. And so um, there was a point when I was uh, doing some things for, for my ordination process. And so I got to meet with a group of uh, people from my church and most of them, um, with the exception, I think of one, of one person, most of them um, were in like their, their near 60, like, or 60s, 70s and 80s. And so some of the things that I was talking about with my life experience experience they didn't understand because they it's like they understand racism they understand all of that but they didn't they didn't understand 
some of like the psychology of whenever like you are a black person and you have your black culture etc 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 but you also have white culture you have whiteness you have all these things that that are sometimes are competing forces are sometimes um forces that that influence you um in ways that would be different if you if you grew up in a in a different space um and then it also oppresses you and so it it oppresses you in a different in a different way um because you are constantly around people who are oppressors as opposed to where like you know here in Chicago it's like it's like as a south as a south sider this is all of this all of the racism that i experience usually is is of a systemic nature of a systemic environmental nature right so like that the day-to-day things i look at i can look out my window and be like this is racism but i'm not experiencing a whole sorry i can't know if you can hear it but my alexa device is talking to me it's okay I forgot to mute Alexa, so she was so she was alerting You're fine. me. I can edit <laughs> she was alerting me about a calendar <laughs> item. So anyway, so you know, I can I can look outside of my window and see some of the some of the things that are that are happening where 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 I grew up. It was you're you're feeling it. It's a systemic thing, but it's also but it's also um, it's also very much an interpersonal thing. And so all of that then to say that oftentimes because oftentimes we don't realize as a people, the we think that just because black people are together that that whiteness isn't going to show up, that white supremacy isn't going to show up, that all these things aren't going to all these things aren't going to show up. And I think that that for again for those of us who came up in integration, who then were radicalized by some of these events like uh, Barack Obama being elected president, Trayvon Martin being murdered, Mike Brown being killed, some event you know coming in at, um, at George Floyd or whatever. But we but all of us had these black millennials kind of had these different uh, kind of flashbulb moments that radicalized us toward racial justice. And it wasn't that we didn't care about it before, but because some, a lot of us were sold this bill of goods about integration and it's like, Oh, you know, I get to be here. So like, it's like you, I grew up, the, the, the town that I grew up in, a lot of us were descended from the slaves who had served there. There wasn't like a migration story. We were there because we were there because we were enslaved and then and then we were free. And so then we just grew up alongside the same people who their, their great granddaddy was our enslavers. And so you look at it like, oh, I get to be here. Like, oh, I get to be at this, I get to be at this school. Like I don't have to go to the the segregation school. I can be at the inter- I can be at the integrated school, and so I think that it gives you this this false sense of. I think that for a lot of us, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe pre- predominantly toward even black elder millennials. I think that there was this that there was kind of this false sense of, oh look, everything's great because we're all colorblind, and you know, all these things are happening. Blah 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 blah. blah. And so then we had some pretty significant events 
that to show us that that wasn't true. We we had Rodney King, we had O.J. Simpson, we had we uh, had Barack Obama. We had we had all these different inst- instances throughout our relatively short life. Even though we're now approaching midlife, uh, a lot of the the well, elder ones we we're at midlife now, and um, we've we've not had we've not had a moment really in our collective lives together where where our identity has not been under assault and so then whenever you see somebody like Donald Trump or whatever come into power um it's kind of the the culmination and kind of like the sum the sum of all fears you know Donald Trump being elected was the sum of all fears because here we were with Barack Obama being president for eight years thinking you know okay well you know, if we're not a post-racial society, at least like we can elect a black president, right? So things must have gotten better. And then what happened? And so all of that then to say- America was like, hold my beer. Basically, (laughs) America was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, we did that. It's it's the thing that they do sometimes. It's the thing that white people do where, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but white people, racist white people will do stuff to show how not racist, like stuff that costs them nothing to show how not racist they are. And then they'll turn around and do more racism. So it's like, so it's like a cover, it's like a shield. So racist America is like, oh, well, we're gonna elect a, elect a black man as president because that's gonna show how not racist we are. So then we can go and do all this racist yeah, stuff. Yeah, because then they like, doubled down on the donkey with that next president. They they <laughs> showed it, they did. And so it was like, but then they could be like, but no, we had a black president, but so so clear, clearly America's not a racist country. And it's like, bruh, like all that was, that was just the cover. That was, that was just the subterfuge. If y'all, mm-hmm. if y'all really were, if y'all really were about that action, um, y'all would have treated that black president a lot better than what y'all did. Number one, um, but then we would, but then we wouldn't have had old boy become president. But y'all, but y'all uh, changed y'all's tune quick, fast, and in a hurry on that. But anyway, um, anyway, so I just, so I think that it was important for me to include, to include the ways that white supremacy show up in our spaces, mm-hmm. for the simple fact that I did not want to see black people continue to idealize this mythical unicorn of a black space and like, oh, you know, and that and that being in black space is somehow like a panacea to experiencing um, white supremacy or that, there, or that there's no work to do. And the last thing that I'll say about this is I think that this is particularly true in the black Christian space. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many times since like 2016 2017 people have people have toned it down a little bit but i remember in those in those early days people were just like oh well you know you should just cut you should just you know join a black church you should just worship in a black church you should just blah 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 and that is that that can be a viable solution for some people um it is not always a viable solution if if for any reason there's lots of reasons but one of the reasons why it's not always a viable solution is that even though black the black church can be very inclusive and very this and that on terms of race and, and whatever um the two areas where the black church often very often falls short is in terms or no excuse me three areas let me throw out three areas here and you probably know the three areas i'm going to say the black church is not very good with classism there's lots of classism 
whenever you get into whenever you get into black churches um black, there's lots of sexism and misogynoir whenever you get into black churches there's lots of homophobia and transphobia so i guess really you could say four because those because those aren't the same issues so i mean it's really is four there's homophobia and transphobia and so those are um and there's and, and, and ableism and i was getting so, ready yes, to say you're right. I, was, I was getting ready it's to say lot. i was like wait a minute nope i'm leaving one out five there's five is ableism <laughs> um so pr pretty much like you're any right. other ism and phobia that you could experience any place else sans racism you can experience in the, in the black church and mm. there are some churches there are some church black churches within denominations and maybe even some black denominations smaller denominations that a lot of us haven't heard of um that would that would be better on some of these issues but all of that to say that it's not it's not a guarantee going into a black yeah. church isn't a guarantee that yes you might feel comfortable in terms of your race but if you're a queer black person if you're a disabled black person mm -hmm. if you are a trans or non-binary black person if you're a black woman um all the again all these other different intersections of mm -hmm. identity is almost like you know which 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 one do you what, what do you want to go with do you do you go to the the white progressive church where they're going to understand some of these other things, but they're going to be racist? Or do you go to the black church where your where your racial identity is going to be fed, but they're but they're not going to understand or or operate in some of these other in some of these other intersections? And so I bring those things up not to be like, oh, black people are trash, but to be like, you know, this is this is just the reality, and we've got to be, and we've got to be for real about it. And those of us who came up in integration, who um, have this idealized vision of black people, of black spaces, of blackness, of the black church, of black institutions, we've really got to. We can't just yeah. idealize it. We've got, yeah, we've we've got to be real about our own issues. We and the goal we want liberation and freedom, right? Um, mm -hmm. in in a total way. Um. How does uh, a black woman like yourself become a black Episcopalian? I'm curious, right? Because you have this unique um, set of memories and stories that you wind throughout the book. And you're from this, this rural town, but you've had all of these unique experiences, right? Like in black spaces, um multicultural spaces um yes. <laughs> which are white spaces light um yes. spicy then, white spaces yeah, spicy white a little on it um and so how do you how do you end up where you are now right you you, you trace this journey throughout the book but how do you how does all of that inform you landing where you are now yeah that's you know the short version of that story is simply that the Episcopal Church, specifically the Black Episcopal Church, specifically the Black Episcopal Church on the south side of Chicago. Um, <laughs> You're is, like, specifically, you don't come to me about everybody else. Don't come I to me about everybody else. Specifically, St. <laughs> Thomas Episcopal Church. <laughs> like, specifically, I don't know nothing about, don't bring me no bad news about anything else. Exa okay? Exactly. <laughs> like, don't nobody bring me no bad news. Listen, but, but really what it, the the short the short story is that i 
realized I, I grew up um started out in the baptist church became pentecostal uh whenever i was a teenager and had spent um the rest of my teenage years and then um in through my 20s and early 30s had spent that in pentecostal charismatic non-denominational spaces and um that's still that's aspects of that spirituality is still very much a part of who i am it very much informs who i am and the sad reality of it is is that i just simply could not remain in pentecostalism um and I could not remain in Pentecostalism. Again, don't nobody bring me no bad news. Don't don't write don't write Robert and them nasty notes about whatever. The the real the real the real the real is there. There are so many Black Pentecostal denominations. So you don't even get into like all the other all the other joints. There are so many Black Pentecostal denominations, and there are a few that are big. But essentially, what I realized is that in terms of black denominations and in terms of denominations where I felt like I would I would fit the Episcopal Church ended up being the one that that whose theology um fit the best with who I am the fact that there I, I probably would not be in the Episcopal Church if there were not black churches and multiple black churches in Chicago and if I had not been able to find a specific black church that I could that I could be at and could and could and felt like I could grow in and interact with and and whatever um you know whenever I get ordained and get into the position of potentially leading a church or whatever we'll have to see what God what God does with that but I just sort of realized like where I was at theologically and um, the things that I cared about which isn't just race but it's also intersections of um of a gender identity and orientation and ability and all these other different things. I saw um, that the Episcopal Church, in terms of what I felt like I had access to, um, because I know that there that there are other great denominations, there are other denominations and stuff that I considered, but in terms of what I had access to, in terms of um, just a lot of different factors, where I felt there's an element of just feeling drawn and called to something, and so there's an element to where you know there's there's not there's not a, a pat explanation. There are some aspects of to which it kind of even maybe seems contradictory or kind of seems or kind of seems weird, um, but I just realized that I could not I could not remain in the in with the faith tradition that had birthed me because I could see no suitable path forward that didn't require me to compromise either some part of my identity in terms of my gender so so being able so so having to accept essentially like a second or third class position because um I, because I'm a woman so you know not being able to be you know fully licensed or fully ordained or fully whatever that that what all the men folk could do um but then also not compromising my principles on being in a space that's open and affirming and inclusive of all of God's children and so um the Episcopal Church just that that just happened to be the the one that they they had the best pitch they had the best they had the best reason they had that they had the best um they had the best uh proof of concept 
Um, again, as far as what I had access to, that's not to say that the Episcopal Church isn't without warts because you noticed that I that I didn't mention class and classism is a is a thing um, in in the Episcopal Church and it's something that I grit my teeth at and a lot of people are gritting their teeth at and a lot of people are trying to do better but it's something that I hope to do better. We start talking about Black Episcopal churches. Um, the the legacy of a lot of Black Episcopal churches is one of colorism, um, and even though it's it's not present and overt in the churches today. Um, there, for some people, there is a subtext there, and that's mm-hmm. mostly in some older generations. That's mostly in some in some that it's it's something that that it's like Bruno. We don't want to talk about it. You know, black black Episcopalians, black Episcopalians in general don't don't want to talk about don't want to talk about their janky history of of classism and colorism. Um, but it's but it's there and some people um and some people do still maybe have some of those thought processes and stuff. Um but I but thankfully I think it's one of those things that um that is dying out. And that's not to say that colorism is dying out, but it's but you. it's not so it's not like the rank colorism of like you can't go to church here because you're too dark skinned. Yeah. Like or but like like that type of thing where it's like where it's like churches literally like having the paper bag test. And if yeah. you are too dark to go here, you cannot go here. Um, we we're we're not doing that anymore. Um, thankfully. Um, and it's a history, it's not just in in the black episcopal church, it's the history of a lot of black denominations. It's a history of a lot of black churches a lot of them um a, a lot a lot of them I'm going to call anybody's name anybody else's name out because I'm not part of those circles um but but if you dig but if you dig into y'all's black church history a lot of the folks um a, a lot of us was out here doing colorism and again those things don't exist in a way I mean colorism still exists in the black community just in general and it's something that we need to deal with um among we need to deal with amongst ourselves um but it's good to see that some of the more overt and damaging expressions of colorism um are are dying with with a certain generation and mm-hmm. that we and that and that's not just again that's not just in the episcopal church that's that's just universally that that certain exclusionary type things it's it seems in the church it seems to be it seems to be dying out but the subtext can always still be there in a mm-hmm. way and so um so again that's not to say anybody's perfect um but again you know, as a, as a dark-skinned black woman i at, at this juncture have not ever felt I've not ever felt any type of way in my faith community. I've not felt, I, I think that people even see, you know, me being um, a darker skinned um, woman who has natural hair or whatever. They see that as a sign of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, they see, they see that, they see that as, you know, you know, you know, 50 years ago, that would have never, that would have never happened. But now, you know, you have a, I have an Afro, I wear my natural hair, I'm darker skin, it's whatever. And it's, and people see that as a sign of progress, as opposed to something um, that would be, that would be something that, that they would be ashamed of, or would try to throw roadblocks and stuff at. Um, and so I'm really, I'm so, I'm really appreciative of that. But again, that's the another way that racism that or that that white supremacy and stuff manifests itself amongst our own people is mm. is in that and so um and so unfortunately we have to deal with those vestiges 
even in our own institutions, even, even in our own spaces. But thankfully there are some things that just because I think that we also realize, you know, um, we're better, we're better together. And we can, yeah. if we, if we just keep, if we keep dividing our um, ourselves um, and keep dividing our own power, then we're, then we're never, we're never going to succeed as a, as a people. And so again, that's not to say, I'm not saying that colorism doesn't exist because um, I know that colorism exists. I, I hear people talking mm-hmm. about their experiences with, with colorism. Um, so it's not to minimize or detract from it all, but it's, but it's just simply to say that in my experience, um, in my lived experience, I, and the knowledge that I, that I have, I see, I see, although um, minuscule, I see some progress in the yeah. community toward that. Yeah. One last question. I, what I, I liked about your book was this wasn't only you revealing tra- traumatic things because there's been this <laughs> this wave of people here is every traumatic thing that's happened to me individually <laughs> in the church and in society right so there's only so much we can take on that right um but you do weave in humor you do weave in things you know to lighten you know this medicine a uh, spoonful of sugar even but um my question is where do you see both the church and society going, right? Part of people's answer to the the vestiges you kind of pointed to a moment ago, people have said the answer is diversity. And then you have a whole chapter, like diverse does not mean free, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, um, And that's a whole movement of people, if we could just make every space diverse, that will get rid of white supremacy. If we can make every space diverse, Jesus will be there, right? And so what do you see on the horizon? Like what are, you know, you do get, you said it's not a theological treatise, but you throw some, it's theology in here. It's 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 tips in here. What do you see and how do you see us getting um, to hopefully a brighter future than we have right now? Well, you know, I think, that we first have to admit to ourselves as black people but then also like white folks everybody else has to admit that integration did not give what it was supposed to give it would it it, it overpromised and underdelivered and that's going to make a lot of people mad but i just want to say that even dr king mr integration dr dr martin luther integration king said toward the end of his toward what ended up being the end of his life that he saw integration and realized like am i integrating my people into a burning house yeah and so even even people who were even people who were pro-integration at the time that we were fought that, that that people were fighting black folks was fighting for this started to realize that you can put black bodies into quote-unquote white spaces but you could not change the morality and the conscience of those people and so in some ways integration ended up becoming more violent than segregation because 
it, whenever Ooh, we were in speaking. our own, whenever we were in our own separate little spaces, we had our own schools, we had our own this and that, and the and the third, and we were able to to exercise a sense of self determination um, within ourselves. The issue is that we were cut off from resources. That separate but equal was not equal. So separate but equal didn't work either, yeah. because the white man ensured that we could be separate. They they loved that separate part. But they didn't want that equal. They didn't mm-hmm. want the. They didn't want the equality. Um, they didn't. They didn't want that. So what we ended up was with separation and then lack of resources, and then in areas where things that we had to share, um, even just like you know, the the Montgomery boy, the bus boycott was because it was infrastructure. It was things like, like there are some things you can only have so many roads. You can only have so much, so much. There are some things that we, that we do have to share in common, even if we're separate, but we were, our dignity was being assaulted, even in those things that we should have had equality and stuff. And so that came, that was why there was a push for integration because it it was an issue of dignity. It was an issue of rights. It was an issue of being able to, to have, but again, it didn't it didn't give what it was supposed to give and so i think that for us in the future what we have to realize is that integration is not the answer just throwing black bodies throwing black and brown bodies into white spaces where the people do not have the moral compass to be able to say we've got to treat these people with dignity and respect and not require assimilation and not enact psychological and sociological um interpersonal violence on those people it's not it's not safe it's not a good it's not a good project and so i think that the idea of diversity inclusion diversity and inclusion while very sincere while very um i think that is very that that is very sincere that is very well intended i think that it has that it has made some um, marginal gains for for us as a people, um, but I think that the that the future, what we have to start thinking about, is not just how we can get black people into white rooms, not just just how we can get black and brown bodies into white institutions, and promote promote it that way, but it's about how can we promote human flourishing period and that's not to be colorblind that's not to say oh you know that's not to say that that's not to be like you know we're gonna be um there's there's a better word to say than than colorblind but that's not to say that we that we aren't aware of race and we're just like oh everybody's that that's not an all lives i'm not trying to all lives matter um I'm not trying to like all lives matter. You're not racist or whatever. Uh, But it's just, but it's just simply to say that we, that we have to move beyond what essentially amounts to tokenism. And we, and we have to be thinking in terms, I I don't want to say that we, that we need to go back to segregation, but we need to start thinking, we need to start thinking about what is going to benefit people and what's going to benefit human flourishing. Um, an example that I'll give because it's it's uh, homecoming season is HBCU homecoming season. And I was watching um, a morning show uh, just, I think it was because I guess today's Monday. So it was just, so it was last week. And um, they were talking about HBCU homecomings. Now, I on the one hand, I could see where people would be like, "Oh, this is this is so great, this is so wonderful that they're talking about about black people or talking about the things that we do." 
And I was just like, I was horrified. Like, no, why are we talking about HBCU homecoming on mainstream television? White people don't need to know about HBCU homecoming. Yeah, because I don't want y'all. Know. I don't want y'all there. I'm sorry. I don't you know? exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like but I love don't, y'all. I don't want y'all there. <laughs> Yeah, but y'all don't y'all don't gotta be there. And so there's some things that it's like there there's a there's an aspect to which there are some things that that so diversity and inclusion, I think because it because we're we're in a pendulum swing right now, that it's like let's put all of our business out there. So it's making it's making blackness, it's making other people's culture this thing of like consumption. And it's like, are there something like like and so I guess I'm like, you know, there's something things that like don't need to that don't belong to everybody and we don't have to we there's some things like we don't have to acknowledge this like juneteenth actually doesn't have to be a national holiday and i've actually said that before i actually have, have a whole podcast episode my episode about it and it's not like anti-juneteenth it's just it doesn't really need to be like this is something that's celebrating black people what really the holiday should have been in my humble opinion the the holiday should have been um july 2nd and i'm not just saying that because that's my birthday but the holiday really should if you wanted to if you wanted to celebrate if you wanted to say have something not necessarily this like counter to july 4th but that is in the spirit of juneteenth but actually makes a lot more sense it would have been july 2nd and that would have been the day that the civil rights act was signed now Mm -hmm. We can say we can criticize all of that. We can say we can mm-hmm. a lot of them rights was rolled back or are still trying to actively be rolled back, aka voting rights. Um, there's definitely like some there are definitely some issues with that. But it's like if we're gonna say if we're gonna celebrate a day where we're saying at least in theory we're we were all free, that day that day was July second, nineteen sixty four. 64 and not and not 68 but it's it's that it's that day and so that makes more sense to me than the juneteenth which was a read which is a regional holiday that people just said okay like hey that was the day the enslaved people were free okay now we're gonna jump on it and so now you got people you got walmart like selling great value juneteenth ice cream and it's just like this isn't like i don't want to go to a juneteenth mattress sale like that just that there's just something about that bathroom body works showed they behind too i said my god Today. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> do do we really do we really want to have somebody dressed up like Harriet Tubman like show it up and be like I mean do we do we really want to have like reenactments of that that's just not that's no like no tea no shade for people because I know there are some people there's some elders that really that really fought for that and like whatever and, I, and no tea no shade but I'm just saying that like so now something that was exclusive to certain black communities because it wasn't black people universally that even celebrated juneteenth it was it was a regional celebration that then through migration and whatever that came to other localities and so there were so there were certain localities that had big juneteenth celebrations and everything but now it's become this national thing and so it's made it has made aspects of our culture a, a an object for public consumption in a way that doesn't actually bring black people liberation or and freedom it just makes us for consumption it just it just makes us it just makes us something that can support capitalism it just is a day that people that people get off work now and like half the people that are off work don't even want don't even agree with what the holiday is don't even think i mean we're, we're in such a as such an uh 
an era of ignorance with that that people people talk you see comments like people juneteenth what does that even mean what, what kind of name is that like you see so much ignorance around it that it's like america doesn't even deserve to have juneteenth as a holiday because we can't even you can't people can't even respect the basic of like this is something new and different and maybe it's from a different culture people don't even can't even show that basic level of respect for it like I don't want people I don't want people like waving around you know uh pan-african pride flags on Juneteenth I don't want Juneteenth to become Cinco de Mayo or St. Patrick's Day where people just go out and and, and that's what's going to be in 20 years people going out and getting drunk because oh oh hey hey you know the slaves is free y'all turn up like i don't i don't want that like oh, 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 oh every everybody's a little bit black on juneteenth like i don't want that y'all like and i just feel like that, that that that's where it's heading so anyway so the vision for so so all that to say then the vision for me for the future is going beyond symbols are so important but going beyond just the symbolic of mm -hmm. we're, we're doing a nose count and to see how much how many different colors or how many different genders or yeah. how many different orientations exist but where we're actually doing the work to make sure that people feel like that they can exist in their bodies in who they are wherever they wherever they're at and if that's in a space that's white dominated or if that's in their own spaces with people who are like them in whatever in whatever ways um that we're that we're celebrating that and that people are able to flourish that people are able to have resources that people are able to have access um that people are able to people are able to create in and build their own worlds and tell and tell their own stories on their on their own terms as opposed to you know again we're going to have a mattress a mattress sale and call that and call that acknowledging something you know Ah, Hallie, writer, author, public theologian. Appreciate you so much. Good points, good points, good points. Where can people find you? Uh, something you're hit or miss on social media. You're like, I like it. I'm out. <laughs> so yeah. where can people find you, connect with you? Yeah, yeah. So I am on Facebook. Um, it's just my name. I'm on threads. I say I'm on threads, but like I forget about threads. I'm like, oh yeah, threads. Like I need to. I need That's to what I mean there. with the hit or miss. I'm like, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm hit or miss. On land the like, ship. Come on. Yeah, I'm I, like, it's like I'm on there, but like I need, I need to be on there uh, more. I am on the app formerly known as Twitter, um, but I, but like I don't. So basically, like I, like I needed x to be or not, or to be threads to be my twitter replacement but like i just but like i just stopped like engaging with that part of my brain um i'm also so if you if i'm on twitter it's the armchair com you can see some of my stuff but like i barely ever tweet um but it's the armchair com which is short for the armchair commentary um which is my blog that i have things to post to it but i have not posted them yet i have new things to post to it but i haven't posted it yet um i also let's see i'm on instagram again it's just my name I'm on TikTok as the Allie Henny. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, um, you'll see because I, I post to Instagram maybe a little bit more, but I'm mostly like sometimes you see like pictures of my dog or something 
like that. But then I also do uh, share content and share some some reels and that type of stuff. And same, and same uh, with with TikTok. And let's see, I also have a Patreon. So if you search me on Patreon, um, I try to post there. Um, I try to post some things there. I don't post nearly enough. Um, again, I, Substack. I have some things to post to Substack. It's just a matter of getting it posted to Substack. Um, it's one of the difficulties of being of being a writer is like you have to write things, and so sometimes it takes time to write things and mm. whenever you're doing other things like promoting a book um I don't I don't get to I feel like I don't get to write nearly as much as I would as I would like to but anyway those are the ways that you can that you can follow me and whenever I stick my head up out of the out of the ground and post something or whatever you'll see it so hopefully if the algorithms allow you to so yeah well thank you so much <laughs> Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.